Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to the show, who are Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Nizaida, author of Psychic Spellcaster, Root Worker, and Witch, you can find her at MissAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. You can find Ginger at TarotByGinger.com. She's a tarot reader, a dental medium, and healer. And that is at TarotByGinger.com. And this episode is also being sponsored by Alan Questel. And you can find Alan at UncommonSensing.com. As the word uncommon, sensing, S-E-S-I-N-G dot com. And you can also look for his new book on Amazon called Intentional Acts of Kindness. And now, Hmm. without further ado, our guest for today is Stephen Gray. And he is the editor, co-contributor of How Psychedelics Can Help Save the World. And he also has a few other books, too, on cannabis and other um, medicines, I guess we'll call them. Thank you for coming on today. Happy to be here again, Gary. This is our third time. Always a pleasure. So um, we are talking before the show about what we were going to talk about. We were going to talk a little bit about cannabis. And, you know, I mean, cannabis is a big topic. Because you know it's becoming legal finally after a thousand years. I don't know how many years, but at least uh, I have to say like, since the seventies, prohibition. You know, um, so what do you think? Uh, you know, what are the benefits of this? What are the benefits of us making this change? Well, okay, so here's you know, there's a lot of different ways to talk about that. Thank mm-hmm. you for the question, Gary. Uh, first of all. Um, uh, this is the people's plant. I like to think of it as the people's plant. One of the contributors to the cannabis book that you referred to, and by the way, this is it. Um, and uh, it surprised me at how well it's done. Um, I, read it. uh, I, I enjoyed no, it. Yeah, I had no idea it was going to do that well. At the moment, it's still selling fairly well after seven years. Um, uh, I think it's sold over 25,000 copies now. Um, so it obviously hit the zeitgeist. But um, just regarding our relationship with this plant, uh, it's always been there. You know, first of all, uh, the lineage that cannabis comes from goes back, and they estimate between 30 and 90 million years. So the plant and its relatives have been on this planet since far longer than humans have. Um, so, you know, as soon as we be, quote, became humans, you know, because that was sort of a gradual development or whatever from, uh, you know, from whatever we were before that, uh, um, uh, you know, say 15,000 years ago or so, or maybe much longer um, with some of our relatives like the Neanderthal and other similar, uh, similar species. Um, it was around. It had to be around. It grows so easily, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, before we had grocery stores, you didn't have the luxury of not knowing everything in your neighborhood that was that could be used for food, medicine, clothing, building materials, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so cannabis has been used 
uh, you know, we only have written records going back to, I don't know, maybe two, three thousand years before the common or Christian era. Um, but, uh, it, it's, you know, there's pottery records and things that go back beyond that. And certainly since then, mm -hmm. there is just uh, immense evidence of uh, multiple uses for cannabis. Uh, it's been throughout Asia, it's been used for a, a large variety of medicinal reasons and so on and so on. Um, but my focus has been on cannabis as a spiritual ally because in our modern culture, Oh, let me back up just a second first. Um, so in most places, it was legal until the 20th century. Uh, you know, it's the people's plant. It's been around forever, right? And uh, in the United States, I mean, you know, people don't know this history. It, it might be a little shocked to know that uh, it was, you could go into any um, apothecary, which is kind of like the predecessors of pharmacies, I suppose, and ask for cannabis. And they had it. They had it, you know, they had it for in tinctures and they had it in all these different forms. People used it for a variety of medical reasons and people were writing about it, you know, for uh, spiritual use as well. A famous book, I don't remember the name of the book, but the guy's name was uh, Fitzhugh Ludlow, I think. Um, and he wrote a book on hashish and his experience with large amounts of, I think, orally ingested hashish. And it's very powerful spiritual um, stuff and experience. So um, it is our plant. And it's in the United States, it was only made illegal in 1937. Mm. Um, and that was only for, uh, you know, it wasn't mostly sort of moralistic. It was mostly... Um, uh, capitalistic, uh, uh, or, you know, opportunism. Um, the, uh, they used, uh, um, the, uh, well, okay, there's a whole bunch of reasons. I don't want to go into all the history, but there are some really good books on the history, like, um, uh, Smoke Signals, for example, by Martin A. Lee and a couple of others. Um, but basically, uh, the, uh, uh I think it was the precursor to the FBI, um, or maybe to the DEA, it was called the, uh, FBN, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, I think it was started in 1930 by a real piece of work named Harry J. Anslinger, and he was looking for, um, cre uh, you know, a a accreditation, um, respect, and money for this new federal organization, um, and uh, so he thought, uh, uh, he picked on cannabis and other drugs. Uh, and that meant picking on black people and minorities like uh, Mexican mm -hmm. immigrants and whatnot. Um, so they created all these false stories. Some people have heard of the movie Reefer Madness, which is, mm -hmm. did you ever see it, Gary? Yeah, when I was a kid, I saw it. Oh, it's just ridiculous. It's disgusting, really. Um, and, uh, you know, and then they got some of the media to pitch in uh, William Randolph Hearst. I think it was the San Francisco Examiner was his paper. Uh, was it San Francisco Daily anyway? And he started put it, putting in these scare stories about, you know, like turning, you know, American uh, blacks into maniacs on cannabis. They, they claimed it was more dangerous than heroin. It was just ridiculous, you know. So that was the beginning of the end for cannabis that way. And then um, uh, in the in the big backlash, the the the, the sort of uh, freak out that happened in the in the 1960s when the hippies were threatening to uh, turn United States into a sane country, um, <laughs> uh, the the authorities and others freaked out and um, threw all these drugs, all these substances, plant medicines, into uh, Schedule One, which is um, no medic, no known medical use and a high potential for addiction or abuse. 
and they threw cannabis in there too. It's in the same category as heroin and, you know, um, cocaine and some other drugs, like including the psychedelics. So that's all ridiculous. But yes, as you say, it's, um, it's coming back now, of course, about time and that will continue. I'm sure it's just like, obvious in a way right um and you know so education and knowledge and experience will you will trump um uh you know stigma and ignorant suspicions and all that kind of stuff so your your question essentially was though you know how can it how can it help so that's i'll I'll try that one next unless you want to say anything or ask in between how can it help how can it help? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> oh, you're in a jolly mood today, Gary. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So there are, again, num- different ways to think about it. Um, uh, uh, let's try a couple of them. One is that we have this extensive uh, receptor system in our bodies that's known as the uh, cannabinoid receptor system or the endocannabinoid receptor system and endo meaning inner cannabis is uh, an exocannabinoid or exo meaning outside right like an exoskeleton that some creatures have yeah anyway um uh, our, our our minds and bodies are highly attuned to this medicine it's non-toxic i mean yes you can get you could throw up on it if you have a lot of it. You can definitely freak out if you have too much of it, especially orally. Um, uh, you can have paranoid experiences and different things like that. You can have nausea, dizziness, different things like that can happen, but it's not toxic. Um, the uh, <clears throat> the uh, wonderful old uh, singer-songwriter Willie Nelson once said, and he was a he was a lifelong cannabis lover and advocate and uh, he once said the only way you could ever get killed by cannabis is if a large bale of it fell off a truck and landed <laughs> on you right you know it's that safe you know you mm-hmm. you know you'd, you you couldn't possibly um there's a there's a term called ld50 it's a medical term um uh, lethal dose 50 it's the dosage of any any medicine or any drug including alcohol, which definitely has an LD50, um, at which 50% of the people who take that dosage will die. Um, alcohol has one. It's like 32 ounces in 24 hours or something like that will kill you, 50% of the people. Cannabis doesn't have an LD50, right? So it's safe. That's really important you know, to understand. Um, and um, so another way of thinking about it is... Um, that it's a, a non-specific or unspecific amplifier. I think of it as a very gracious, flexible, kind medicine. Um, and it's kind in the sense of it's like a, a laissez-faire kind of parent. You can abuse it. And, you know, you can just do that. You can abuse it. Um, uh, so it's what you do with that amplification. You can use it to escape. You can use it to numb yourself. You can lose, use it to... Um, try to counteract boredom, you know, um, like some people like to use it to clean house, clean their house, you know, or paint the walls because they find that stuff boring. Um, and cannabis kind of, as my old friend Neil used to say, puts a shine on things. And, you know, I, I don't have any, you know, obvious, uh, clear objection to people doing that, mm-hmm. but, um, it's definitely not the kind of use that, uh, I think people, uh, well, is really good for people to hear about if they're at all interested. Um, and that is cannabis as a spiritual aid or ally. So 
um, how does how does that work? Well, again, it um, it amplifies experience. So it it's like a, gives you a. This is this is not a complete description, obviously, and you know the medical people, scientists will add things to that, of course. Um, but it it uh, it gives you a temporary state of enhanced perception, right? Um, like uh, people talk about increased visual acuity. You look at you look at a painting or something, or a, you know a, something in nature, a beautiful flower, and it seems to be even more beautiful. You learn to appreciate that way. Uh, it's well known that um, that music and cannabis are intimately <laughs> engaged with each other. You know, so many people just love to hear music on, you know, under the influence of cannabis. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that are enhanced on our sense level. You know, taste. You know, the munchies. And so, by the way, just a little sidebar here. Um, I don't remember the details, but uh, the um, the editor of uh, Common Ground, uh, the original one down in California, a couple of years ago asked me to write an article on the munchies. So I did some research and I found out uh, the munchies is a trick, uh, like with cannabis. Um, mm. You know, if, if you had, say, a normal dinner and then, um, you know, you, you, at nine o'clock, you know, let's say you normally would not be hungry, you had a good sized meal, right? Can, you smoke some cannabis in between time, and now you want to eat, but you're no more hungry than you would have been had you not smoked that pot. It doesn't get rid of the food in your stomach any faster or aid the digestion process any faster, as far as I know. It plays havoc with some of the um, uh, chemical configurations in your brain that make you think you're hungry. So that's a pretty interesting one, and for people that don't want to gain weight, <laughs> um, you might just try disciplining yourself a little that way and just not eat because you didn't actually need that food. But anyway, it certainly tastes good if it's, you know, so so all that stuff, all those senses are um, uh, temporarily amplified or enhanced, right? But it also has this, um, what you might loosely define as a spiritual amplification potential as well. That requires you to channel well, maybe it requires you in the first place to um, treat the plant as a sacred medicine, for one thing. Uh, maybe. Uh, it would be helpful if you do that, I think. Uh, think of think of yourself as working with a psychedelic. It is, in some respects, a psychedelic. Uh, um, it is a sacred plant. It is an ancient sacred plant. Um, and uh, so that might help. And then uh, the situation that you do it in, the intention you have, if your intention is to uh, kind of spiritually heal or spiritually um, go deeper, you might say, uh, that energy, that temporary amplified energy that cannabis gives you can be directed like that. And so um, there are ways to make that more likely to happen uh, and the, most, the purest way, and, and I, I talk about this one and I write about it because, you know, by the way, there are 17 other contributors in cannabis and spirituality, but um, <clears throat> I and others um, talk about, uh, you know, just, you know, as Terence McKenna might have said about psychedelics, sit down, shut up, and pay attention. Um, and that is essentially the sort of layman's description of um, the ultimate sort of pure version of meditation. Um, meditation in its purest form um, is, 
it's not even, it's almost not a practice at all. It's not like an add-on. It's just how we can, in a sense, focus our minds to be in the present. Um, so maybe that requires a, like a quick, you know, sort of like 25 or words less um, uh Buddhist lesson here. Um, it's not just Buddhism by any means. Any anyone who's worked with their minds thoroughly would would understand this. Um, uh, there there is an awakened state. That's like the core teaching of universal teaching of Buddhism. Um, the word Buddha simply means awake, and the Buddha, the, the historical Buddha, wasn't never considered to be a <clears throat> a god. Like he wasn't. Um, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't born from a virgin or, you know, like the son of God or any of that kind of thing. He was just a man who uh, discovered this truth that we are by nature these awakened beings, that um, it's like ultimate uh, stillness of mind and peace and open heart. You know, the so the, the Tibetan Buddhist uh, tr- translation for enlightenment essentially is uh, awakened heart. Uh, in Sanskrit, it's bodhicitta, bodhi meaning awake, and chitta meaning both mind and heart together, like synchronized that way. So, um, but the but the problem is that um, from the time, pretty much from the time we're born, and many would say formed from past lives as well, uh, we are forming an identity uh, which Buddhists would call the ego, um, and uh, we do that because it's overwhelming to be in this in this world, you know. If we don't know what's going on or who we are, so we have to, um, and we have, and we have to cope. Uh, not all of us, you know, equally successfully, of course. But um, you know, if you make it to adulthood and you're a relatively successfully functioning, you know, with your various warts and wounds, but still, you know, able to go out work in the world, have relations, and all that. Um, uh, you have by then formed a quite definite, distinct identity with, by which you've decided um, how to cope with the world, right? Um, like, and, it, and this just tells you, you know, where you want to be, where you don't want to be, what you think is real and not real, you know, what you believe, what you disbelieve, you know, what you feel is safe and unsafe or, you know, all that stuff. Um, uh, but that's all concepts. Um, and it lives in thought. It essentially, I mean, it, it gets embodied, of course, and many people in the healing professions understand that, that we embody or there's an imprint of all our conceptual, um, I don't know, stances, so to speak, in our, in, in various places in our body and the things that we hold on to and our various wounds and all that. But these concepts that as a package create this thing we, we could call ego, um, they, they exist. Uh, they don't. This is this is a core Buddhist teaching. They don't actually exist in reality. They're just held in, like um, you know, RAM. You know, they're held in so- software, so to speak. Um, and if you deleted that, <laughs> then you know you'd still be here. But but those concepts wouldn't be uh, ruling you or driving you, right? So, but the problem is that. Um, for almost all of us, we are so attached to that identity that having it stripped away from us can be very challenging, very threatening, very scary. And that's what the psychedelics do or can do when they're used properly. Um, and cannabis also can do that. Um, so um, we can, as I say, take that uh, 
temporarily amplified enhanced energy and we can channel it into being present and so the reason i mentioned this thing about e uh, you know ego and the identity packages is that um the way that this is again a sort of a core buddhist teaching but understood by many kind of mystics and spiritual people around the planet i'm sure um is that the way that we protect ourselves within that identity is by throwing up a kind of an ink cloud of overlapping thinking so we just keep our minds busy most of the time, right? Um, and leaving a gap in that, if we are able to leave a gap in there, as I say, can be threatening. Um, it can be totally scary because that you can be unraveling this identity. But the great teachers and the mystics are saying that is the path, that is the gateway into our true nature into the awakened self that is, you know, the same, the same availability to everybody. Well, maybe not right. equally the same, but it's our true nature anyway. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So to, um, encourage and develop that ability or that state of mind, that sort of, um, at rest or default state, you might even say, uh, requires, um, allowing some of the thoughts to dissipate and entering in the gap, you know, the great uh, mystic poet Rumi said things like, um, uh, you know, silence is the language of God, all else is poor translation. In other words, silence meaning the quieting of the mind. Mm -hmm. And it's the hardest thing for almost all of us to do. You know, like, can you, you know, or anyone watching or listening to this, um, and I include myself in this, could you sit down on a cushion with a straight back, <clears throat> follow your breath for half an hour and not have a thought? No. I don't think so. <laughs> Although Eckhart Tolle claims that he can, or certainly could when he wrote the book Power, The Power of Now. He said he could basically sit for two hours without a thought, really. So um, some people can do that. And the more we have, uh, in a sense, um, uh, allowed our obstacles and wounds and fear of the awakened state to come up and re be released, the easier it is to do that. Um, so that the path quality there seems to be that the more we've uh, healed, in a sense, the, the more we've processed, uh, you know, the materials that block us, in a sense, from that awakened state, the easier it becomes to rest in that state. Uh, Buddhist teaching says, rest in the nature of alaya, which is like your true nature, right? Learn to rest in that state. So it's 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 hard for, for most people to even understand that as a concept, let alone as a practice, right? But that's that's what um, that's what the path is, you know. And it, when it, when it, when I say the path, it doesn't belong to any religion. It just belongs to all of us, right? Mm -hmm. There are teachings that help with it. But it's not about saying, well, you know, Christianity is the way, or Buddhism is the way, or Islam is the way, or any of that kind of thing, right? It's like everybody is capable of practicing in that way, of paying attention to the thoughts that arise. No praise, no blame, just release them, come back to the present. And as Eckhart Tolle says, you could do that anywhere. You don't have to be sitting on a cushion to do that. You could do that while you're waiting for a bus, or washing the dishes, or you know, um, sitting in a chair at the office, you know, you could just go, uh, check in with the body, the breath. Um, am I having like, obviously we need to think, but again, the Buddhist teaching, uh, the universal teaching is that 
the thinking mind is how we create this cloud of obscurity which blocks us from understanding our true nature. It doesn't let the light in, so to speak. So um, the question is, the thinking that you're doing at any given moment, is it necessary or is it just part of this sort of like running program to keep us uh, distracted and occupied, so to speak? Um, uh, Eckhart Tolle, again, good on that one, he said, the relationship, I'm not quoting him word for word if people, you know, know his material well or go to check this out in the book. Um, this is just the gist of it, right? So he said something like, the relationship you want with your thinking mind is that you can treat it like a tool, that you're, you, you can pick it up when you need to use it, but you're fully capable of putting it down when you don't need it, when you don't need to be using it, right? Um, so that's the approach that we're take, talking about. So the purest way that you would use cannabis that way is just to sit down, shut up, and pay attention. You know, the sit straight so that energy moves. Um, uh, there's a guy, wonderful guy named Ganesh Baba. He was the crazy wisdom guru of cannabis um, from India. Uh, he's passed away now, but uh, he was a real character. Um, you can find some of his writings online here and there. Um, and uh, he said... Um, Here's my whole Bible, you know, my my canon, you know, of uh, how to work with uh, with the, that plant. He said, um, first of all, sit up with a straight spine so that your energy moves and you stay alert, right? Secondly, um, dedicate your smoking to Shiva, which Shiva is the Lord of Bong or the Lord of Cannabis in India. But from my point of view, that could be any any source, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the. Latin Americans from South American places call it Santa Maria, Saint Mary. Um, call her Santa Maria. Yeah. So, so that's it. Two things, right? Sit straight, pay attention, dedicate your smoking. That's that sort of treating it as a sacred plant kind of idea, right? And then, um, and again, this sort of universal practice, the purest way is just sit there and allow whatever comes up to come up. Is it restlessness? Fine. It's just, in a sense, a thought, you know, that's generated by, you know, this kind of concept, concept that I'll have to be somewhere else, or this is irritating, or this is boring, or any of those kind of things. Just treat them all as, as um, uh, no praise, no blame thinking, right? And just let it go and come back. And, then, and that's essentially just the simple universal practice of meditation as taught by Buddhists and other uh, traditions. But where cannabis comes in is the amplification effect. So that um, if you can do that, even if it's just for gaps, you know, like again, you know, don't expect yourself to be able to, most people anyway, to sort of sit down, shut up, and pay attention without thinking for half an hour. But, you know, even if you can allow two, three minutes of complete empty mind, so to speak, in there, you can enter deeper and deeper and deeper into... Um, it's it's your own self in a sense, right? It's your truer nature. It's the capital S self instead of the small S, uh, you know, ego-identified self. It can open you up into that true nature. It can uh, re you can relax into it, um, and it uh, typically comes along with an opening of the heart, a tenderness in that way as well. So that was a very long uh, monologue, Gary. Um, I think I'll stop there and allow you to weigh in or ask a question or something. I understand the amplifi amplification effects of, of cannabis. 
But one of the effects that, that I know that, that, that I feel sometimes, though, is the observer effect, where all of a sudden I become the observer of my thoughts. Like There's like this mm-hmm. little gap that's created between I don't know what, but all of a sudden my, my thoughts will become more pronounced to me. And, mm-hmm. and it's like I'm watching the pronounced thoughts. Like I'm supposed to be – it's like meditating, but not meditating, you know, it's just – it just happens like in this natural way. Mm-hmm. Is that something that everybody experiences when using cannabis? Yeah, um, I, I, I'm not sure I completely understand that way of uh, thinking about it. Um, there's, to me, uh, there's almost two kinds of observers. Observers. Um, one is the one that's keeping us, in a sense, from being completely entered or empty into the moment, right? You're sort of holding yourself back. Yeah, not that observer, the other observer. Okay, then there's the other observer is just, I don't know, I guess I'm more likely to think of it as just like a a a sharper awareness, you know? Yeah, you notice these thoughts up. And so, by the way, that's part of the challenge of working with cannabis um, and something to really pay attention to in general with cannabis, but maybe specifically in this case, working with it as a spiritual ally, is that um, uh, that amplification effect um, tends to make thoughts seem bigger, more important, more serious, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I wish I had the lyrics in front of me, but there's an old, uh, there's a wonderful old song. um, uh, It was popularized by a famous um, jazz guy named Cab Calloway back in the 30s called The Reefer Man. And it had all these wonderful lines in it like, um, there were the, you know, that was the black, black people were, especially in the music world, were smoking a lot of cannabis in those days. And, um, and, and so they noticed and they were making fun of this type of person who, um, would, you know, he, he said, what's it goes? Let's see. If, um, if he said he sw- swam to China and he'll sell you Carolina, you know, you're talking to the reefer man, right? <laughs> In other words, you get all these, oh, I'm really excited about this idea and this idea and this idea. Mm-hmm. And that can be both positive and quote-unquote negative because um, you can have, uh, you know, this sort of self-sabotaging um, uh, ideation coming up and seeming more important. Uh, it's kind of like you can get, cannabis is a nowness meditation. And it sort of in, it amplifies wherever your whatever your state of mind is mm-hmm. so if your state of mind is paranoia or self-doubt or fear you can amplify all that stuff too so that's why i said at the beginning it's, it's a really gracious plan um so i'm not quite sure so I'll give you, here, here's how an, you experience the observer here's an example yeah okay when it happens to me like and i think this must be common too because the, the laughing thing is common you know where you find oh, everything yeah. and it's it's almost like you know Looking out from the outside in and seeing actually how humorous things are that I'm been taking like really seriously kind of mm, thing. Okay. Does that kind of give you a better idea of what I'm trying to? Yeah, I don't know if I'd call that the observer myself or not, but I know what you mean. Um, uh, so another way that I think of cannabis because it does have this ability is it's a truth serum. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think of it as a reality medicine, you know, mm. and that's one of the reasons why it's tough for some people uh, because it is threatening this, you know, habitual pattern thing and giving you a larger perspective. Um, 
uh, it's interesting that you say, you know, regarding laughing to sort of, you know, you stand back and you find things that you maybe took seriously to be funny. Yeah. Um, uh, because my, um, my old Buddhist teacher, Chugyam Trungpa, he talked about humor and the, and the, and what mm-hmm. sense of humor really is. And sense of humor, he called it panoramic perspective, you know, where you sort of, um, you know, look at the things that you've been taking seriously and you go, oh, you know, like <laughs> it's that's funny that we take ourselves so seriously. There is that, there is that aspect of it, that we and other people take ourselves you know, so seriously a lot of the time, right? right. That's pa- that's the kind of panoramic perspective. Um, you know, you could humor and um, joy are actually quite related. Um, uh, the uh, if you take that kind of maybe in a sense sort of bigger. Um, that same teacher used the term um, uh, something about primordial awareness or something like that. Oh, pardon me. He called it the primordial smile. Mm-hmm. It's like when you, when you've released, when you've been able to, you know, and let's be honest about this, it's a lifetime process. It's not like cannabis or psychedelics or any kind of therapy or anything at all, including changing your mind, is going to suddenly turn you around and make you a completely different person. You have to unwind these things, unravel them, allow them to come up, be exposed and released, etc. And that, for pretty much everybody, is a lifetime's work. Deprogramming. Um, (laughs) Yeah, deprogramming. Good one. Yeah, deconstructing in the sense this, you know, you know, kind of uh, entangled configuration of thoughts and ideas and concepts that you've put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, now, okay, now I forgot why I mentioned that one in particular. So let's carry on again. Oh yeah, um, the yeah we were talking about humor um, uh, and that panoramic perspective, I guess. But I think we nailed that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how, you know, you, you, you put it sometimes like in the same category as a psychedelic. But yet when people use cannabis, there's no yeah. hallucinations or audio things happening. Like, like to me, they seem still different. Uh, you know, like, right. like using psilocybin versus cannabis. Psilocybin. You mean psilocybin, psilocybin yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, well, yes and no. Um, the terms, first of all, you know, taking it literally, the, the word psychedelic, psyche is psyche, right? The mind, the soul. And uh, delic has something to do with manifesting. So um, psychedelic from the Greek means mind manifesting or soul manifesting, right? So cannabis can do that. The other word that uh, for a while seemed like it was going to, um, you know, push past psychedelic into the number one position, uh, but has more recently kind of fallen back again uh, as we've gotten far enough away from the um, <clears throat> the baggage that the word used to carry back in the 60s and 70s uh, is entheogens. Um, and uh, and, and and meaning in theo meaning god or spirit and gen meaning generating so generating the spirit or divine or god within um, and cannabis can do that uh, and in fact uh, oh yes you can have hallucinations that's dose dependent uh, um, i i have if i have with eyes closed i have some beautiful visuals sometimes um, and that's on smoking or inhaling 
but orally, uh, there's almost no limit. Um, and it can get really bizarre, actually. It can, can create, it's unusual in the psychedelic realm that way, in the, in the sensual, um, the sense perception distortions that cannabis can, can uh, generate. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't tend to happen in my experience with other psychedelics. Um, uh, like, for example, um, I have this wonderful book back in my shelves called uh, Orgies of the Hemp Eaters. And it's a tongue-in-cheek title because some, you know, conservative person some once <laughs> said, said that about cannabis, right? Um, and these two authors collected all kinds. The, the British spent a long time in India where there was a lot of cannabis. And um, they collected, they experienced cannabis a lot as hashish oftentimes and in drinks and things um, where it's most potent. Um, and then they wrote about it. Bong, exactly. Yeah. You can still get bong lassies in places like Varanasi and so on. In fact, a couple of my friends about 15 or 20 years ago were in Varanasi and um, they somebody offered them a, a bong lassie. They didn't they didn't think anything about what the dosage was in that. They were basically pinned to their bed for two days, right? Wow. Could barely move. Um, uh, um, and so anyway, there's all these great stories in, in that book that I just mentioned. And, and you know, you have these guys saying, well, they, they you know, they, they took a large dosage and um, they had some friends around them or something. And it was meant, it was kind of an experiment, this one I particularly remember. And... Uh, um, uh, he, he heard uh, a really loud explosion and it shocked him. And, and he said, he sort of sat up and said, what was that? And his friends said, oh, that was a, that was a pin dropping on the floor. <laughs> you know, like that's how dramatic the, the, the perceptual distortions can be. And then there's, um, uh, there some, there's this, there was this group called the Club uh, de Hashishans or something like that. The Hash Club of France, back in the I think 1840s, maybe 40s and 50s, um, it was a group of uh, artists and intellectuals. Some very famous ones. Charles Baudelaire was one of them, um, and uh, a few others that were well known. They had a patron who was very wealthy, and he had this mansion, um, and they would go over there. I don't know once a month or something like that. And he had um, these sticky, gooey black hash balls that he'd gotten from Arabia or Turkey or somewhere, right? Um, and they'd they'd have a dinner, and they'd stick these things into their coffee um, and stir them around until they melted, and then they'd drink them. And then they just kind of go off on their own, you know, in the house, and they. would tell stories like one guy said um, he was absolutely convinced it was taking him a thousand years to walk up the spiral staircase, you know, this distortion of time, for example. Mm -hmm. Another guy sat in the living room where the fire was on, and he said he saw gargoyles coming out of the fire. Um, So there's, uh, oh, and here's another good story, I would say, anyway, which puts the plant into into a really nice perspective from my point of view. Um, uh, Uh, this was a guy named um, Sebastiao. Um, he was not, he was called Padrino or Padrino Sebastiao. Uh, Padrino means like um, father in the Christian way. They'd say Father Brown or whatever, right, um, or something like that. Um, like pad, Padre is father in Spanish, for example. Uh, anyway, he had a community in the. Um, uh, uh, they were um, ayahuasca using uh, religion that he had, and he was the head of this 
community in the uh, Amazonian jungle. And this is back in the 70s, I think. And I, for some reason, I guess he hadn't really, the way I heard the story was he hadn't really been around cannabis for some reason, or he hadn't tried it or something, or it just wasn't around him. But um, word of this community kind of spread, and some young, long-haired kind of hippie guy showed up at the uh, encampment one time. And um, he had some weed with him. He had some cannabis with him. And he, he felt kind of embarrassed about it because this was sort of a spiritual community, and they were using ayahuasca as a sacred medicine. He didn't know if that would be okay. Um, he didn't know quite what to do with it. So he went to Sebastião, and he said, I've got this stuff, and, uh, you know, would you... Could you tell me what to do with it? And he said, well, give it to me and I'll, um, I'll find out for myself what this plant actually is. So he smoked some, apparently, and he had a vision. Uh, and, and he was in the vision and he found himself in a garden. And um, there was a woman in the garden and she was kind of walking around tending to the plants in the garden. And she saw him and turned to him and came over and obviously recognized him as a leader of a community. And she said, uh, yes, that plant you smoked, that's mine. Um, uh, this is my garden and that's my plant. And um, by the way, I would like you to go back to your people and teach them how to use this plant in a sacred way. Um, and he identified her because that was a syncretic church that uh, had elements of Christianity involved in it. Um, he identified her as St. Mary, hence the term Santa Maria, mm -hmm. which is used by many people uh, in different places these days. So, um, yes, indeed, you can have some very strong visions. Uh, so in that sense, it's not that different. I mean, it has its unique way, but it's not that sort of ultimately different from what it's capable of doing for what it's capable of doing to other psychedelics. Terence McKenna acknowledged that as well. He said, you know, intentionally used in the right way with the right dosage cannabis has almost the full um, array of psychedelic effects as uh, the other psychedelics um, and it, and and ultimately you know as i understand it many other people understand it uh, what the, the 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 best use or best capability of psychedelics is to bring us into reality is to you know perhaps bring up the things that need to be healed and uh, enter us or invite us into the unconditional space of, um, of divine reality, etc. Well, cannabis can do that too. And in fact, you know, some people might accuse me of being biased. I don't think I'm, I don't consider myself biased about this because um, I, I have great respect for, you know, all the psychedelics and I've used a bunch of them and number of them quite a lot over the years. Um, and um, it's just that cannabis, because of, um, you know, its ubiquity, that the fact that it's sort of everywhere and people use it so casually and it seems so mild a lot of the times, um, it, it, it's not understood in the same way. So it needs to, it needs to be um, taught or it needs education to let people know that if you use it in these ways, it too can open you up that way. And in some ways, it has some distinct advantages over some of these other psychedelics because, as you mentioned at the outset, Gary, first of all, it's legal in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. It's federally legal legal in the whole country of Canada, where I live, <laughs> um, and it's legal in a few other countries, and it's legal in at least half of your states now or something like that anyway. Um, uh, and and uh, so it's, it's universally available. It's non-toxic. It's generally safe. 
Um, and, uh, and its way of helping people enter into this more unconditioned reality space is it, it is gentle in a way. It, it, it can be really, really powerful, but even that power is, has a sort of a gentle potential if you can relax into it. Okay. So that is a segue from my point of view into the discussion of dosage. Because mm-hmm. I think dosage is really important. That's my experience. So how does a person get the right dosage? And like, is the dosage different when you're using an edible versus when you're smoking it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about edibles first. Um, there's a saying around these days, start slow, pardon me, start low and go slow. So um, you can't really know um, the effects of any particular batch or whatever you want to call it, any particular strain, cultivar, until you try it. And that's one of the beautiful things of cannabis is that, you know, it's very easy to self-experiment with uh, in that way. But but especially with edibles, and many people know this, I'm sure many of the people who are going to watch or listen to this interview will know this, um, it can be overwhelming. You know, you have to be really careful with dosage. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of your uh, viewers and listeners will also uh, know either from their own personal experience or from uh, their friends or whatever um, some you know kind of classic stories about that. One of the, the the most common or classic story about overdosing with edible cannabis, like we're talking brownies or anything that you take in orally, um, is uh, if you don't know that it takes quite a long time to kick in, and even longer if you do it after you've eaten. You know, it can if you if you have like a a brownie or something uh, shortly after eating a, any substantial size of a meal, mm-hmm. it could take up to two hours to reach its full effect. And even if you take it, um, you know, three hours or four hours after eating, it can still take up to an hour and a half or so to reach full effect. So the the classic mistake that you know you hear jokes kind of about is, you know, the, you, know you you eat your brownie. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there with your friend and half an hour, 45 minutes later, you look at each other and you go, are you off yet? You know, are you high yet? And you look at each other and go, no, are you? And so you have a second one. Well, the first one hasn't even really kicked in yet, right? (laughs) Um, We all know stories like that. Yeah. So, so it can be overwhelming. And as I say, it has this um, other potential of, um, wild sense distortions, wild, like I mentioned, like the sound of a pin sounding, or I mean, the dropping of a pin sounding like a loud explosion or time being wildly distorted uh, with these higher doses. It can just essentially disable you. And it can also scare the crap out of people. Um, My family doctor, uh, he doesn't like cannabis. uh, And I said, why? And he said, well, my only contact with cannabis is people who um, uh, I hear from or about uh, who were freaking out, right? They have, they've, they, they've taken too much and they have some kind of fear or paranoid reaction or they get uh, nausea. Nausea, dizziness, and things like that are reactions to having done too much. Although the interesting thing about done too much is that it's also a learning process, as it is with other psychedelics. For example, with peyote, peyote um, people throw up a lot, 
but it tends to be the newbies that throw up. The old folks that have been doing it for 10, 20 years, they don't throw up much at all. Um, and once you get used to it, you'll learn how to surrender to it. So it's, um, uh, as I say, cannabis threatens or wants to pull you out of that habitual kind of conceptual-based ego, etc. It wants to take you out of that, and that can be scary. Like, like, oh my God, I feel so vulnerable or exposed or whatever. Um, and uh, one of the ways that that manifests is through physical symptoms like nausea and dizzy, dizziness, for example, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so that's the edible aspect of things. Start low, like really low, you know? Um, you got to know what you're dealing with with that with edibles. You, you know, if you know the measurement of it, um, and you, you know, if you, well, let's be clear about this. If you're smoking every day, if you're a wake and bake type person, then your tolerance level's gone way up, and you can handle a lot more, and it won't have the same strength of effect. But if you're new to it, or you haven't smoked for a week or two or whatever, or taken any cannabis, um, uh, it's going to be a lot different. But if you can go to a shop where they've measured it, like you can get candies and gummies and all these things, and they'll say there's five milligrams of THC in it, mm -hmm. or 10 milligrams. You know, five milligrams is kind of like a microdose. But some people, including, you know, cheap dates like me, will notice five, five milligrams, even though I've got 50 years of experience with this plant. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, so then you could start with five milligrams for example, and see, oh, oh, well, I didn't really notice any effect from that, or it was pretty mild. So the next time, you, know, you could take ten, right, mm -hmm. um, and or twenty, or whatever, or two tens, or you know, any of that kind of thing. Um, and similarly with inhaled cannabis, uh, the cannabis, a lot of the cannabis that's around these days is super strong. Uh, e even a lot of old-time smokers. Uh, don't really like the, this new cannabis because, or newish, you know, because, uh, you know, like two tokes and a, you know, it's psychedelic. That's actually how I experience cannabis now. I mean, you know, I'll have one toke to start. A lot of times I do kind of what I've been describing. I'll maybe once a week, I'll sit down on my meditation cushion and I'll start with one. It'll be a large toke. Um, or hit or whatever young people call them these days. And I, my generation called it a toke usually. Um, so I stick with that one. And uh, anyway, one large toke, I'm good to go for an hour or so. And then oftentimes I'll do a top up then, which will take me a little higher. But I know where I'm at then. I know what my plateau is. Mm -hmm. um, and both uh, another very experienced cannabis using friend of mine and I have talked about how it's often... Even for experienced people, it's often good to start a little under what you might think you need in that way and just sit with it. You know, it'll be, have a, its effect will kick in immediately, you know, within a minute or two. Um, although, quite honestly, if you're sitting in meditation, you're essentially deepening your experience anyway. So that and the cannabis will work together and over several minutes, maybe five to ten minutes or even longer, will continue to deepen. But what we found is if we don't overdo it, like we don't come in and have two giant hoovers right off the bat, <laughs> we usually have a better experience than if we you know, kind of like, you know, light the fire to the rocket ship right off the get-go. Uh -huh. um, uh, uh, and then, you know, you can still have a top-up 10 minutes later, half an hour later, an hour later, right? Um, so um, that's what I mean by the 
the you know getting the dosage right. Uh, so so here's a simple little sentence or phrase that I think could be very useful for people. The optimal or optimum yeah optimal dosage for this kind of work, but maybe just in general, but it's especially for spiritual use of cannabis. The optimal dose is the dose that you both want to and can handle, right? So the want-to part is how deep do you want to go? Because you can go quite deep. Um, the can-handle part is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the dosage within which you can stay calm, your mind isn't running out of control, you're not getting dizzy, or with some people, it's sleepy. Now that that comes into strains, which is you know another important topic. But um, some people just get sleepy on any th- cannabis, and that's because they never normally slow down enough. You know they're running on a lot, mm-hmm. and so they have a couple of puff and they relax and they go. You know that's also taking them out of their sort of habitual zone, right? And you know, but that's a kind of an instinctual way of avoiding this inv- invitation into reality that cannabis potentially has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then maybe I'll just say a word about um, cultivars or strains then. Uh, as I mentioned a few moments ago, self-experimentation is, uh, you know, cannabis's forte sort of, you know, among psychedelics is safe to do that. And there's so many different choices of, you know, blends and hybrids and sativa versus indica and all this. So let's 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 clarify the sativa indica uh, dichotomy for starters. Um, what I've read is that um, it's impossible to know ahead of time until you've experienced a strain whether it's sativa or indica because there's been so much hybridization for the last several decades or whatever. So they originally were different plants. One was sort of tall and thin. The other one was short and bushy, right? Um, but a, Apparently, the only way you can know now is after the fact, you know. So what people associate with indica is, you know, sometimes it might be helpful to think inda couch, indica, inda couch, you know, can be soporific, drowsy inducing, sleepy, you know, chill out, kind of, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> and the sativas are supposedly uplifting, cerebral, um, energizing and all that kind of thing. But you, you can only really find that out by experimenting or by asking people who know that strain. Like if you go into a shop and they say, oh, yeah, well, this is a sativa-leaning hybrid, and that's based not on somebody just saying it is because they claim it's a, it's based on, hopefully, them having or some, you know, getting feedback from customers or their own personal experience saying, yes, this one has that expansive uplifting quality. So um, if people know what they're selling, I would ask for myself, for this kind of work, I would ask for a sativa-leaning hybrid, um, like a haze sometimes can be really good. There's a number of strains that can be like that. But something that's awakening um, and enlivening in that sense, but still has enough of a like a relaxing or calming quality. You don't want something that's like, you know, like... Well, most people don't. Some do, but <laughs> for this kind of work, I'd say probably not. Um, and uh, and again, experiment. You know, like go to the shop or whatever. Get two or three different cultivars. 
have one toke, sit down, shut up, and pay attention. See how that feels. If you like it or you want to go deeper, have another one a little later and stay with your cushion for as long as you can, um, etc. And then if that one, you know, in my experience, only a minority of uh, strains have the what I would call the spiritual force. Um, so I'm picky about what I'll smoke uh, for this kind of use uh, uh, because others just, they just don't do it. Sometimes it's just you, how you feel that day, mm -hmm. or who knows, maybe it's even the alignment of the planets or the stars that day, full moon, new moon, whatever can affect things. But, but if there's any consistency with the material itself, I would say that, you know, you have to experiment until you find one that go, yeah, this is, I can be really present with this one. It's strong, but it's also expansive and relaxing, right? Yeah, so those are the kind of the, maybe the two kind of key things about dosage and strain. Hmm. Yeah. One of the things, too, that we have now that we didn't have certainly when I was younger is that the idea of using CBD as a way of sort of backing out of, of it if you take too much. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I'm not quite sure. Um, uh, maybe you have read some things that I haven't or heard stories that I haven't. I'm not quite sure if CB does that after the fact. I don't, I haven't actually read that, that it, that it has that, um, diminishing or mitigating effect, uh, to bring you down later. Um, what I have read a bunch is that, um, uh, at the same, in, in the same plant, um, uh, it it does mitigate. Uh, apparently, it um, interferes with the you know where the, re the the receptor, you know, it it gets in there first or something. I'm not quite. I don't know the science. Maybe somebody watching this does. Um, I have read about it, but it's a detail I didn't remember. Um, it interferes with the uptake, so to speak, of THC to some degree. Um, and what I've read is that it sort of. Uh, somewhat diminishes the effect of the THC, but it also prolongs the effect of the THC. So that could be kind of cool too. So there are all kinds of different mixtures. There's like one-to-one, -one, for example, uh, THC and CBD. So CBD on its own isn't um, mind-altering particularly, wow. although some people say that they do have a degree of mind-altering uh, experience with CBD. It has other effects and um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know if you can use it. I, I wouldn't automatically assume that, um, that you can use it for um, bringing down a, an uncomfortable high. So, actually, let me, let me say something briefly about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Two things. One is, up to a point, um, you may be able to work with it because a lot of it's just what I said earlier. It's like you're not handling the strength of that particular, you know, dosage right then. But that's not fixed. It's not fixed in concrete. You may be able to just keep breathing. For example, I've had people a couple of times experienced where they fainted in my cannabis ceremonies that I lead. Um, and this one guy, he just got dizzy. I, I saw him. I watched him over on the other side of the circle kind of like being you know, no offense to him, but sort of greedy. It's like people think they got to have a lot of this, you know, right away, like I was saying. Mm -hmm. And um, so he, you know, while the rest of us were starting off with one good-sized toke of some, you know, high THC material, 
he's over there having three. Um, and then at a certain point in the ceremony, we were doing some ohm chanting, and we were standing up kind of in a circle, putting our arms around each other, going, ohm, you know. And he got dizzy, and he started to faint, like he actually started to fall right there. So we walked him over to the couch, and I said, lie, lie down, but don't buy into any thinking, and keep breathing. Um, just breathe, you know, let your thoughts go as much as you can. And he went over there for 10 minutes, did that, and 10 minutes later, he was totally fine, right? Um, so that's perhaps the first line of um, um, <clears throat> first aid, so to speak, if you, uh, if you feel like you've had too much. That's tougher if you've eaten it because it has a much longer duration, right? If you've taken it orally with smoking, that can change fairly quickly. Um, so uh, <clears throat> if, that doesn't, if something like that doesn't work, there are a few other things, and I'm not quite aware of all of them. I'm told that coffee can can mm -hmm. help uh, bring you down. Some people say that orange juice. Uh, a shower. Inter a shower, yes, absolutely. Um, there's some other, and eating things, um, uh, heavier foods with sugar in them, I think, can interfere with, uh, with the high, um, bring you down. Like when we do ceremonies, we don't eat. For that reason, because it's a kind of a more of like a ethereal or airy, spacious kind of thing, and the food, you know, brings in this other factor, this sort of heavier factor, right? So, yeah, there is a few things, and I'm sure if somebody wants to know, there, there, you could just Google, you know, um, ways to bring down a high. Um, there's a few of them around. I don't remember them all at the moment, um, but I would say again, uh, if that happens to anyone who's watching this. And they really, their intention is they really do want to use cannabis as a spiritual ally. It can be really effective and it can be really, uh, you know, useful um, that way. Uh, but if you overdo it, um, I would say try to work with it first. Like try to work with your breath. Let go of those thoughts. They're just thoughts, right? No praise, mm -hmm. no blame. Um, you know, and it's going to be over in an hour or two or whatever anyway, just like a tough psychedelic experience. You know, they say, yeah, you might go through some rough patches, but you're going to be, you know, back to base camp in a few hours and you're going to be okay. Um, so, like, don't buy into the thoughts again, um, especially paranoid ones, uh, you know, where you feel exposed or whatever. It's just a thought. It doesn't actually exist other than a thought in that moment, right? And you can let it go and just keep coming back to the breath. I can't emphasize the benefit or power or usefulness of uh, breath enough. The breath is almost like our teacher, our guru, our guide, our savior. You know, if you, your breath just brings you back into the body, it helps you relax, keeps you grounded. And if we're in our heads, we oftentimes aren't paying attention to our breath and it can get quite shallow, you know, so... You can do things like put your put a finger on your belly button and make sure the breath is getting way down in there. Breath is a healer. Breath is our life in that sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Breath. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all ways of even having. I mean, before people were doing psychedelic stuff, people were having psychedelic experiences just by using their breath. And so, oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Have you ever heard of Stanislav Grof? No. Oh, well, he was quite, he's quite famous in the psychedelic world. Um, <clears throat> he was the head psychiatrist of the, I think it was the Prague, uh, Czechoslovakia Psychiatric Hospital. And um, LSD was legal until the late 1960s. 
So starting, I think, in 1953, for the next 13 years or so, he oversaw um, or supervised or whatever, like well over a thousand uh, sessions with psychiatric patients in that hospital with LSD um, at varying doses and um, had, uh, um, by all accounts, immense success. It tended to take people into where their primary trauma was. Um, and allow it to come up, which is sort of, you know, the kind of the, the Bible of healing is you have to see it, you have to allow it to come up from underground, so to speak, and then hopefully you can talk about it or release it or whatever. Um, the, you know, the wounds that have been hidden and blocking you and all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously people, if they're in a psychiatric hospital, they've had some pretty serious trauma oftentimes. So he did that for 13 years and then at some point he came to the United States, but by then LSD was illegal. So he still wanted people to get into these states. So he came up with something. I don't know if he just invented it out of the blue or where he got it from, but he called it holotropic breath work or mm -hmm. holotropic breathing. And um, I did, I've done a session of that once, twice actually. And basically what they do is they ask you to get breathing as hard as you can, like hyperventilating, deep breaths and forceful expulation, um, exhalation. And, um, and then they often put on some fairly intense music, uh, like good, like beautiful music, but, you know, more kind of, you know, heart driving or something maybe is the way I experienced it anyway. Um, powerful music of some kind or another and fairly loud. Um, and then you, you're, you're breathing away and, Groff and many others, because he trained a lot of people, or a lot of people learned to do this kind of work as a substitute for the illegal, the now illegal LSD, uh, claimed that people had a lot of the same kinds of experiences where they were, you know, powerfully altered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we used to do something when I was a kid. I, I don't know if it was safe, obviously, when I was like a teenager. But we would do this thing where we, we, you take a breath and then um, you. You'd, Breathe out as you went bent that over and inhale as you bent oh, yeah. back up. And you'd do it like 10 times really fast. And then somebody would push you up against the wall and you'd exhale it all and hold it for as long as you could. Yeah. And then you'd just sort of like black out for a little while. Mm. Yes, we love, <laughs> we love altered experiences, don't we? You know, it's actually one of the arguments for, uh, you know, why it's absolutely hopeless to try to banish, um, substances right. that you know would give you altered experiences because there's an innate human human drive to um, alter our consciousness know. you know why do people go to the gym yeah even you the know. gym will do that um uh like uh, um kids love to spin until they get dizzy right mm -hmm. you know just like the feeling of something different that way some kind of alteration um so yeah anyway um uh, I should probably get going. I have to go help my brother-in-law with something, and he's uh, waiting for me basically this time. Do you do you have any other questions you want to ask? Because maybe one more if if, um, if you want to finish it up. No, but if you have anything that you want to say, if you want to like summarize on you know how people could use cannabis as a psych for as a psychedelic and have a spiritual type of awareness from it, you know, like a short brief summary, that'd be cool. 
Yeah, uh, well, I'll keep it really short because I think I've said most of the things yeah. that I think are important to say that way. So just, it, it, it can be an excellent spiritual ally. Um, it, as I said at the beginning, it maybe requires some respect and some reverence, um, the right kind of situation where you have some uh, calm and quiet around you. And for at least part of the time that you do it, uh, you know, if the session, so to speak, um, if you could just try to sit down, shut up, and pay attention and follow the breath, you might find, I hope you would find, that you can enter into the open space that allows you to go deeper into your real self, you know, that you can open up your body and mind. That's one of the beauties or, you know, almost unique among psychedelics uh, capability of cannabis is that it works with the mind and the body synchronistically, together, integratedly, holistically. Um, you know, not necessarily the same as, as, you know, psilocybin or ayahuasca in that regard. Cannabis to have its spiritual effect, it has to be embodied. It's a, it's a, it's a reality medicine, but it's a physical kind of a medicine in that way. So the more you can let go physically, um, the more you open up, but that comes along with quieting the mind as much as possible. Of course, there's also what you might, what Buddhists and other traditions might call one-pointed type meditations where where you concentrate on something like an external focus of mm -hmm. some kind and cannabis can do that too as long as it's not too cerebral um, I find it's really interesting with music because I play music but I'm not a master of my instrument I'm, I'm not bad on the guitar and singing um, but I'm not a, I'm not a professional in that way and that I like I can just play anything I want whatever's coming through my mind I haven't gotten to that level um, and so um, maybe if you do like maybe if you're truly an amazing master musician cannabis can just simply help you go deeper into it um, and again that would be dose dependent probably um, so but for me I'm at a level of musicianship where um, sometimes it can throw me off because it does interfere with some of your, what they sometimes call executive function, you know. Um, but the really interesting thing is if I can really relax and enter in, it's, as I said before, it's a nowness medicine, right? Um, it's, it, it potentially allows you to go deeper into this moment. Um, uh, and like I just did this last night playing with a friend and, once I kind of settled in more, um, uh, I, I was able to, like I do, we do some soloing, improvising, you know, mm -hmm. where one person will carry the rhythm on the guitar and the other person will do some soloing. And uh, I did some, I think, remarkable solos, quite honestly, <laughs> where I just, it becomes effortless, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you know, your spirit is guiding you through it in a sense, even though my chops are somewhat limited. Like I can't go, I don't play fast like that, but I can, I can get into the groove. And so cannabis has that potential to deepen you in that way, um, for, uh, certain kinds of creative activity that are nowness focused and not overly cerebral focused in that moment, at least, right? Um, in my, in my, uh, intent or contention. Um, but I would just ask, suggest to people again that the, the deepest, purest, ultimate potential of this plant is where at least for part of the time that you're working with it you try to get yourself out of the way altogether without any external uh, distractions or activities or anything and just be with it and allow whatever comes up to come up and oftentimes if you get the right strain and the right dosage you'll settle into a really 
you can settle into a really beautiful space that you know as real. It just feels right. You know, it just feels calm. It feels open-hearted. It feels present. You know, like that. So I'll leave it at that. Awesome. And uh, before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Yeah, well, thank you for asking that question. I appreciate it, Gary. Um, so um, uh, my website is stephengrayvision.com. So it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-G-R-A-Y, like the title or the, the author name on this book here, Stephen Gray Vision. Stephen Gray are mushed together as two words usually on that. Uh, but the website is Stephen Gray Vision, all one word. But I have a YouTube channel, which is Stephen Gray, all one word, and then Vision separately. And it's for interviewing leading influencers in psychedelics and consciousness change. Um, I would also like to uh, mention to anyone either that can come in person or online, we have uh, a wonderful conference in Vancouver that's been going for 12 years with a lot of the, um, the, the most important spokespeople in the field called the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference, spiritplantmedicine.com. And if anyone's, anyone who is watching or listening to this, um, we are at the, um, uh, we are at the, uh, second early bird stage of ticket selling now. Our, we, we, we try to keep our, our price quite reasonable compared to some of these kinds of conferences. We're very aware of accessibility issues for some people financially. Mm -hmm. So we try to keep it reasonable. In any case, we're at the 35% discount uh, early bird price, but, uh, I'm offering people my personal discount code, which is Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, and that will get you 50% off uh, the going price, the regular, the full price. And when okay? is it happening? It's November 3rd to 5th. It's a wonderful conference. We do everything in the same room, so there's a real kind of ceremonial feel to it mm -hmm. as well, uh, real connection energy, community energy, uh, networking energy uh, at that conference. Um, it's in Vancouver, British Columbia. Wow. So, yeah, um, and there's contact info on my website if you want to write me, etc., uh, etc. Et and I also would uh, really like it if people subscribe to my newsletter. Um, and I think you can do that. Uh, I have someone who takes care of this, so I'm not much of a technical guy myself. I think uh, you can subscribe there at my website right on the home page where I think it'll say subscribe or something like that. Um, but worst case scenario, you, scenario, you can contact me, um, and, uh, you write to me and say, yeah, Stephen, I'd like to be on your newsletter. I use it sparingly and respectfully. I don't put, I don't put stuff out all the time like mm -hmm. some people do. Um, I use it to announce things like the conference or an upcoming ceremony or you know con or, or event, and also to put in some little hopefully nuggets of wisdom or whatever on certain related topics. Awesome. Yeah. I'll put those links in the notes of this episode so my yeah. listeners can find you and go to your conference, buy your books, check out your YouTube channel, and uh, it's been a pleasure having you on again. Good to see you. No, thank you. Oh, likewise. And thank you for, um, I like the way you open the field up. You know, you ask a question and you let me ramble for a while and <laughs> gives me a chance to really clarify my thinking for people mm -hmm. to share my, you know, my understanding. Oh, if you don't mind, I'd also like to, um, mention that, um, I don't know. Hopefully soon you're going to publish uh, yes. a, a group discussion interview we did about the How Psychedelics Can Help Save yeah. the World book. Um, and uh, I hope people will check that out as well. 
because yeah, uh, there story. were some really oh yeah there were some brilliant people on that right you yeah. you felt that way right yeah, Gary definitely. yeah it was an yeah, honor yeah. to host it thanks for uh, putting that together oh yeah so yeah let me know when you when you put that out and I will immediately share it and so on as as with this one All yeah right. awesome well thank you for being on and with that I'm gonna play the outro and uh, if you have to run that is okay. I will run. Well, at least I'll walk anyway. Have a good Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Thanks again, Gary. Bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochilio.